You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Hey guys, hope you're doing so well this week. We are in part three of our series, What's in a Name? And uh, this week we are going to be talking about arguably the most influential influential person in scripture outside of Jesus himself, and that person is Paul. If you aren't familiar, Paul, or as we'll read in this story, Saul, was a Pharisee uh, that was persecuting the early church. He was brilliant and highly regarded among his peers and in the Jewish power structure, and he also ended up writing about half of the New Testament. So this guy is wildly, wildly impactful, and his life is wild. And uh, we're going to hear, or we're going to read uh, the passage where Paul encounters the person of Jesus for the very first time. And um, there isn't a recorded spot where uh, Jesus officially changes Saul's name to Paul. But as you read the New Testament, you see um, that his name is changed to Paul. And and before we jump into the passage, I want to point out that this week isn't just about Paul. There's a secondary character that we're going to have a ton to learn from, um, and this series isn't just about the changing of names, but but the stories that lead to God changing names and the people that are a part of the process and all of those different things. So I'm excited to jump in, and we're going to do that. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. It says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, which was the early followers of Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, we're not going to camp here, uh, but Shannon Gardner, who spoke last week, touched on this thought. Uh, she said, for us to understand who someone is, is we have to understand where they are coming from. So for us to understand who Paul becomes, we have to see who he was. And who he was was that Pharisee, that passionate, sure of his beliefs man. He was gifted and highly regarded. That that even in in the power structure that we talked about off the top, um, he was an up and comer. Like people saw him as like the next big thing. He was he was a devout. He was so many of those things. And he was also angry. And scripture even says that he was murderous, that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. He was an enemy of the early church. He hated the person of Jesus and he hated his followers. And he thought that they were ruining what was perfect in the Jewish faith. So we're going to move on into the uh, next couple verses and understanding with the baseline that this is the man that Jesus encounters on the road to Damascus. So verse 3 through 5 says this, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. So the first point this week is Jesus introduces himself. I personally think it's incredible how Jesus can simultaneously be a God who softly invites us into relationship, and he also can kick down the doors of our lives to make a point. I love this story for so many different reasons, but but one of them is that it highlights Jesus' desire to know us and be known by us. 
See, Jesus knew Saul. He knew Saul well. Everything about him, everything that we gave as contextual information about Saul, Jesus knew. Jesus knew him when he was knit together in his mother's womb. He knew every part of Saul, but now it was time for Saul to get to know him. Not the rumors about him, not not what people were saying about Jesus, but he wanted to meet Paul, meet Saul right where he was at, and he wanted to introduce himself in a really dramatic way. For us, our introduction to Jesus probably wasn't as dramatic, but the desire of Christ is never changed. He wants to know us, and he wants to be known by us. I'm not a huge fan of boiling ministry purposes down to a single mission statement, but when we rebranded Young Adults a couple years ago, uh, I had to come up with a mission statement, and largely because of this story, this is what I came up with. It was to be known, to know Jesus, and make Jesus known. Be known, know Jesus, make Jesus known. That we want to be people who are known We want to be known by Jesus. We want to be known by one another. And we want to get to know Jesus. We want for him to introduce himself to us. And we want to get to know him better and better and better. And as we do that, we want to make Jesus known to the world around us. Because the love and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has for us isn't just for us. It's for everyone. So be known, know Jesus, and make Jesus known. And we get to be a part of the story of Jesus. Like That's incredible that, that the God of the universe, the God who literally created the cosmos, still invites us to be a part of the story. But for us to be good uh, participants in that story, we have to get to know the author. And that's what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's like, Saul, I want to introduce myself that who I am is Jesus. Who I am is the one that you are persecuting. One of the things that we have to point out in this moment is that Paul calls Jesus Lord. In, in an instant, Paul recognizes the power. In an instant, Paul recognizes the majesty. In a moment, he identifies the authority of Christ. That he, he gets knocked to the ground by this blinding light and he's like, this has got to be God. And then Jesus introduces himself. And when he says, Lord, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you are persecuting. But the interesting part of this moment, the singular moment in time, is that Jesus has been crucified already. Jesus has already raised from the dead. Jesus has appeared to his disciples. Jesus has ascended into heaven. So so Paul's not persecuting Jesus. He's not going after the, the physical embodiment of Jesus. But in a way, he is, right? Because What's happening in this moment is that Jesus is identifying with his people, that Jesus knew that Paul was persecuting his children. So in turn, he's persecuting him. He took that personally because he has called us his sons and his daughters. And when we are being persecuted, when the early church, the way was being persecuted, Paul was directly persecuting Jesus. Paul might have thought he was persecuting the followers of Jesus, but Jesus makes it really clear that he was the one that was being persecuted. For us, would we remember that Jesus is anything but distant, that he is deeply involved in our lives and cares deeply about us. And when we are being persecuted or we are being hated, he is right in the middle of our lives and he is involved and he cares so much. So so Jesus introduces himself. Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And then it goes on to say this in verses seven through nine. The men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. 
So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. The next point is this. Blinded so he could see. Blinded so he could see. Paul's actual physical vision was taken so that he could see Jesus' vision for his life. We most likely won't have our vision taken for us. Let's pray for that. But But there are undoubtedly so many things in our lives that are distracting us from what Jesus is calling us to. Our prayer should constantly be for God to clear our vision. Our prayer should be for him to highlight the things that we are supposed to be focused on and push the nonsense out of sight. Last night we sung a song and it said, give me the eyes to see what you see. Give me the ears to hear what you hear. That that is our prayer is that, that we are no longer going to be distracted by what we physically see, but we can see what God is trying to show us. I love that it says, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Like, isn't that us too often? I look at that and I go, man, that's me so often. Like I'm living my life with eyes wide open, taking in all the world has to offer and simultaneously missing what God is trying to show me. And maybe that you you can identify with that too, that, that we become people who who listen to the cacophony of noise and we, we visualize and we see and there's just this constant influx of information, both visually and audibly and relationally and all those different things. Our eyes are open. We are aware and yet we are missing what Jesus is trying to show us. Verses 10 through 14 go on to say this. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So the next point is this, available. Ananias recognized the voice of God and responded immediately, here I am. We've, we've probably all heard this, the best ability is availability, right? Ananias is available. He immediately recognizes the voice of God and says, here I am. Sometimes I wonder how many times God has called my name and I've completely missed it because I'm not attuned to his voice. I think Ananias' response is a simple reminder for, for us to listen more and talk less. I've heard this example so many times after following Jesus for 30 years now, and, and you maybe you've heard it too, but but it's simply this is that sheep know their master's voice. That when we talk about Jesus being the great shepherd and we talk about the, the analogy of a shepherd and a sheep, like sheep obey the shepherd because they are attuned to his voice. That when he says go, they know that that is their protector. So they, they obey. They know the voice of the shepherd. And I've heard that so many times. And after 30 years of following Jesus, I'm like, I don't think I know Jesus's voice very well. I think I let everything else distract me because God is always speaking. God is always guiding. God is always just involved in our lives. And it's too easy for us to miss the voice of God. But just because we're able to hear the voice of God or hear the call of God doesn't mean that we're always going to like it. I love how human Ananias is in this moment. I hear you, Lord. I'm here. I'm available. But you know that guy that you're talking about? Yeah, he's bad news. I don't know if you know this or not, Lord, like all-knowing, all-powerful God. Do you know (laughs) that that guy has done a ton of harm to your saints in Jerusalem. It's an honest response. It's a, it's a human response. And I love that. 
it reminds me of of uh, uh, a, maybe a silly example comparatively, but my senior year of high school, uh, I just I kind of slacked my second semester. I had uh, <laughs> I had three classes, three choir classes, a TA class. I was TA in two of the choirs. I had two like real classes the entire second semester of my senior year, and six semester or six semester six period our last period. Uh, there was a guy named Will in this choir class. And we had been going to school together for four years. He was the same grade as me. Um, he kind of looked like Edward Scissorhands, uh, if you're familiar with that movie. Uh, he wore an all black, had long hair. And legitimately, when people tried to talk to him, he would growl. He would growl at them. And people were just kind of scared of him. And I don't think anybody thought he was dangerous, but um, people were just like really intimidated by him. He was an artist. He did incredible, incredible sketches. Um but, um, yeah, they were not my style. They were very dark. <laughs> and, and I just remember sixth period, like a couple weeks into the semester, the Lord just being like, Hey, you should go talk to him. And I said, Nope, I'm not going to do that. And so the next week I felt like the Lord was like, you need to go talk to him. And I was like, I'm all set. And the next week and the next week and the next week. And finally I went over and talked to him. I went up to him and I was like, Hey man, I'm Evan. He's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, okay. Um, can I sit next to you? And he said, uh, sure. And I was like, all right, well, he didn't growl at me. So already in the green, right? Like we're good. Like we're, we're, we're doing better than most people. And so I sat next to him during choir and I would sit next to him every day during choir. And we really wouldn't talk a ton. Um, my friend group uh, would often eat in one corner of senior high and every once in a while he would come and sit not with us, but near us. And it was just this weird thing where every day we would see each other in choir. Um, I would ask him how he's doing. He would say, fine. Like it, it was not, I wouldn't consider it a friendship, uh, but an acquaintance. And it was just a really interesting second semester of senior year. We get to graduation. Uh, it's at, the, at Metro Park here in, in Billings, Montana. And uh, there's this tunnel that you have to go back under. So we graduate. Everybody's excited. We walk back under the tunnel. And I see him and he walks up to me. And he gives me a hug. And I was so taken aback by that. And he just said, thanks for being my friend this semester. And I said, thanks thanks for being my friend this semester, man. And then he walked away. And I have not seen Will since that day. I have never, I have never seen him again. And I just remember the weeks of the Lord asking me to go say hi. Like that is the most ridiculous small thing just to go say hi to just go introduce myself to go befriend this guy and how many times i was like i hear you but i don't like it so i'm not going to obey and what i love about ananias is that he hears he has questions and like we've talked about before god is not an- angry about his questions he's not angry at at all in fact, in the next passage, verses 15 through 19, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went, and he entered the house. So there's obedience there. Ananias placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So the next point is this, chosen. 
Paul was not just found on the road to Damascus. He was sought out. He was chosen. He does not operate. Jesus does not operate by coincidence or luck. He specifically marked Paul for influence. It would make zero sense in the moment, right? Like Ananias said, this dude was all about harming, imprisoning, and even murdering followers of Jesus. But Jesus did not see him for what he was, but for what he would become. And would it serve as a reminder to you and I that no matter what we have done up to this point, God sees us not just as forgiven, but as usable. This is one of the things that I love about God is that he can hold these things in tension of, of using our pasts and, and even things that we're not proud of, but he can still use those things for, for kingdom building moving forward. One of the reasons that, that Paul was absolutely br- a brilliant choice by God was that he was a Roman citizen who was raised and educated in the Jewish structure but then has an encounter with Jesus. Like he's a well-rounded disciple of Jesus. He knew how to talk to kings and authorities. He knew how to talk to the Israelites, how to talk to the Jewish people. And he knew how to talk to the Gentiles because he was a Roman citizen. Like there was, there was so much about this that was so well thought out by God. Shocking that God knows what he's doing, right? But also like he marked Paul for influence. And if he wasn't Paul, if Paul wouldn't have, have submitted to God, he could have used anybody else. Like, like God can do that. But he was chosen. And he's chosen you to live in a time that you live in, in a place that you live in, to be an influence where you are at. That this is not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You have been specifically chosen and specifically instructed to go and make disciples. That that we are all people who have abilities and gifts and talents, and we are where we're at because we're supposed to be there. And God is going to use us right now where we are chosen doesn't apply just to the apostle Paul. It applies to you. It applies to me. When Jesus hung on that cross, it wasn't just for the select. He wasn't just forgiving the the elite so that they could go and do elite things. He was forgiving everyone so that everyone could go and make a difference. He deemed us worth saving. He deemed us worth forgiving. And he deemed us worth using to tell the whole world about the love that we have experienced. And then like we already talked about, it says this, it says that Ananias went Ananias went. It would have been really easy for Ananias to balk at the idea of going to help Saul, whether it be fear because of of the things that Paul was doing to followers of the way or anger. Like, screw that guy. Like, I am not going to help this guy. I'm glad he's blind. He deserves more than that. It would have been a perfect sense for Ananias to say no. But Ananias did not let fear or anger dictate his actions. He let his belief and obedience in Jesus lead him to what he did. For you and I, we may not understand why God is calling us towards something or why he's calling us towards someone, but we don't need to necessarily understand the why. We just have to trust the one who is calling us to it. Lastly, uh, it says this, brother, brother. He placed his hands on him and said, brother Saul, brother Saul. Ananias walked into a room and called Paul brother. A man who was doing unspeakable things to his friends. A man who publicly was calling for punishment, like literally going to the high priests and asking for letters to go to synagogues and arrest people. A man who was publicly calling for punishment and torture. A man who was literally the definition of an enemy. And he walks into a room and says, Brother Saul, brother. You see, the love of Jesus is radical. The love of Jesus is not simple and it rarely makes sense. And this is what I want to say to you. 
I don't know what kinds of hatchets you need to bury right now, but would we remember that God has not called us to live in bitterness or anger, but freedom and forgiveness? If Ananias could lay his hands on this man, pray for his healing, and then baptize him, what excuses do you and I have? Like, What excuses do I have to not find forgiveness in my heart for people that have wronged me, to ask for forgiveness for people that I have wronged? If Ananias could do that for Paul, where, where are we at? Where's our excuse? This is what I love about this is that Jesus could have just healed Paul, right? He could have blinded him, had his buddies take him to this room, let him sit there for three days or however long he wanted, and then just healed him himself. But he sent a tangible representation of himself in Ananias. That he said, no, I'm not going to do that. In, in fact, I'm going to call one of my disciples who might be afraid, who might be angry. I'm going to call him to go and be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of me. I'm going to have him physically lay his hands on another human being who needs healing. And through him, my vessel, I'm going to heal. I'm going to restore. I'm going to impart my Holy Spirit on. And then I'm going to have Ananias baptize him. Like, that is absolutely incredible. Like, we get to be that. We get to be vessels of Jesus. We get to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece. We, we love because he first loved us, and we forgive because he first forgave us. And, and here's the truth. I'll just end with this. We might be Paul, and we might have a Paul in our lives. Probably both in one way or another. But either way, we need each other. And even more so, we need Jesus. And thank God, literally thank God that he is there whenever we do. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.